Hello, beautiful humans, and welcome to the Mental Wellness Wake-Up Show, a weekly podcast where growth-minded, creative people come to learn best practices from both spirituality and psychology that create lasting well-being. I am your host, mental wellness expert, improvised acting teacher, therapist, and coach, Dawn McMillan. Let's get to it. Hey, Dawn here with a helpful hint. One of my favorite ways to listen to podcasts is by speeding them up. It gives me the opportunity to listen to more of them and to re-listen to my favorite ones. So if you find that this podcast goes a little bit slow for your taste, by all means, turn up the speed. I listen in Overcast personally because I like the control it gives me over the speed of the podcast. All right, on to the goodies. So today I'm going to lean into what Rob Bell said. (laughs) There are no tangents. There are no tangents. So the first thing up on today's thoughts from Dawn is really about how confirmatory the world is. There's something called confirmation bias, and it's our tendency to seek out information that confirms what we already believe to only notice things that confirm the assumptions that we have and the rules that we've created for ourselves. So for example, I happen to believe that the world is round. So if I'm scrolling through YouTube and a video pops up claiming to prove that the world is flat, I am much less likely to click on it than I am a video that says proof that flat earthers are wrong. Why? Because I want to as a confirmation-seeking being, click on the thing that already confirms what I believe to be true. It's kind of a good thing because if we were constantly questioning the assumptions that we have, the rules that we know, the things that we've learned, we'd never do anything. A jumping tiger, bad, right? If a saber-toothed tiger is jumping at your face, that's bad. You don't want to always be reconsidering whether or not a cyber-toothed tiger, cyber-toothed tiger, they're terrible. Watch out for those. Cyber-toothed tigers, tigers, and other animals who are leaping at your face with their fangs exposed. You don't want to stop in the moment and try to figure out whether that's good or bad. And confirmation bias also leads into survival bias. We notice the things that last, that exist. And again, all of these cognitive biases that we have, these rules are mostly helpful. They're just not infallible. So I've been noticing that the world is very confirmatory of some stuff that's been on my mind. So something I've really been thinking a lot about is identity. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? And if you are like me, that sentence has been weaponized against you to try to cut you down to size, put you in your place, and control you. Who do you think you are? It's kind of an interesting question. Who do you think you are? A lot of us are on a spiritual quest seeking knowing, awareness, We want to know 
who and what we are. We want to be aware of what is. And for my money, for my belief, my confirmation bias, is that thinking often gets in the way. Our brains are problem-solving machines. They are designed to keep us alive. They've been doing a really great job. They're not the only tool in the toolbox. You know, we've talked before about the heart and the gut also have decision-making capabilities. Your whole body gives you information. Our brains just have a tendency to get very bossy. So as I've been thinking about this question, who do you think you are? I've been getting a lot of information from the world around me. I heard a podcast. Um, it's the You Are Not So Smart podcast with David McRaney, I believe his last name is, and his guest was Terry Crews. And I almost skipped it because I find Terry Crews to be a problematic individual, at least from what I know, from what I learn on social media. And I'm grateful I didn't skip it because it's a really great conversation. And in it, these two men explore what the answer to the question, who do you think you are, meant for them for the longest time. As men of a certain age, as men from certain cultures, this pressure to dominate and control was controlling them. This avoiding pain and seeking pleasure, living on I did this and now reward dominate control and everything is a transaction. So listening, listening to them talk about how they've had to unpack from who society told them they needed to think they were was really very eye-opening. Because as I look around the world and I notice <laughs> how problematic, how problematic our culture is and how so many people are enraged all the time because they've been living from this transaction of, if I do these things, I should get rewarded for them. If you look at the incel community, it is a group of men who believe that they are entitled to sex and adoration from women and are furious that they're not getting it. They bought the lie that by virtue of being men on the planet, they are entitled to have sex and as much of it as they want with whomever they want, whenever they want. And they're furious that that lie didn't turn out to be true and they want to blame everyone except the liars. <laughs> they wanna punish and control women in order to have that fantasy fulfilled rather than thinking, oh, this culture has sold me a bill of goods. The world is not meant to be transactional. Maybe that worked in the past. It's clearly not working now. I did this for you, so you owe me. I'm trained in a system called MRT, Moral Reconation Therapy, and it's Reconation, R-E-C-O, Nation. It's not a word you come across often. And it combines cognitive behavioral therapy, developmental theory, and another one whose name escapes me, but it's also real good. And looking through these three behavioral health theories, these three very well-researched theories, comes up with a moral development system. It's primarily used on incarcerated individuals or individuals who are recently out of incarceration because, my friends, 
transactional relationships are level one of 12. Seeking pleasure and avoiding pain. You scratch my back, I scratch yours. Is the lowest form of moral reasoning. Seeking pleasure and avoiding pain. Being transactional is the lowest form of moral reasoning. One of 12. And I don't think you have to think about it for longer than, oh, two nanoseconds to realize how much of the world is still trying to enforce that paradigm. Do anything to avoid a bad feeling including overconsumption of alcohol, drugs, sex, porn, Netflix, you name it, fill in the blank. And unwilling to do things that will not pay off. And then we all get furious and self-righteous when We do the things we're told to do. We don't get the rewards we were told to expect. Think of a whole generation. Millennials just got the fuzzy end of the lollipop, right? So the generations before them said, hey, go to school, get good grades, go to college. Oh, by the way, we've set it up so that you'll rack up an enormous amount of debt you'll never get out of. But it's all going to be worth it because once you get the, the degree, and oh, by the way, a college degree probably isn't enough anymore. So, you know, go to college, go to grad school, be in school for 30 years. (laughs) And then when you come out, you will have all the things. Millennials did not get all the things. We were taught, do this, you get that. And that system is so falling apart. It is so falling apart. Raise your hand if you ever did the things that you were supposed to do and you didn't get the results you were supposed to get. Follow this diet and you will lose weight and stay thin forever and the world will be at your feet. Princes will throw crowns at you. You will live in the lap of luxury and everyone will desire you for all time. Oh, wait. Okay, so that didn't work, but this diet will. So I've been thinking about who do you think you are? What is your identity? And for those of us who are Swimming in this soup of competition, transaction, dominate, and control, avoid pain, seek pleasure. And if someone does something for you, you owe them. And if you do something for them, they owe you. How is that defining who you think you are? How is that defining how you think the world works? And are you mad because it isn't working that way? I think men tend to go in that direction, right? The depression and the despair that comes from being betrayed by the life you were sold leads a lot of us to anger. For men, uh, depression often looks like rage. Women too, but women often have the more traditional textbook presentation of depression, which is sadness, numbness. Do you feel betrayed by the world? Are you blaming yourself? I've been in the coaching world for a while and there's a whole lot of people saying, you know, five steps to six steps to six figures. And if you follow my 10 step system, you will be a millionaire and you'll launch your product at a hundred thousand. And then people, myself included, I spent a lot of money on coaching. 
you'll take the course, you'll do the things, you don't get the results and you're like, oh, well, it must be me. And I want to point the finger at the way the law of attraction is, is taught by a lot of people. A lot of people are teaching a very simplistic, very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Pie in the sky, guaranteed results version of the law of attraction, where they say, if you think good thoughts, good things will happen. People try it. They don't get the results. They get furious. People try it. They don't get the results. They feel guilty and ashamed because the law of attraction is a law. So it has to work exactly right. Maybe I just need one more book, one more course. (laughs) And then you begin to revise who you think you are to include, I'm someone who is shameful, someone who can't do what I'm told. I'm someone who has been betrayed. I'm someone who's a failure. I'm a loser. I was listening to a really interesting conversation about how this dominate and control paradigm is making victims of everyone or victimizing, not making victims, victimizing so many people that a lot of men who are doing all the air quotes, right things, feel like they can never live up to this version of masculinity that they've been sold. So they look good on the outside, but they're seething with rage on the inside, not rage, but um, uh, shame. A lot of men feel this secret shame because they are supposed to be large and in charge all of the time. And they're not, or even worse, they don't want to be. And so they're secretly ashamed that, you know, maybe they think it would not be nice to lay off the gas, to not compete all of the time. And then we have a lot of women who are, and I'm using these very gendered terms deliberately, I know that a lot of people are outside of the gender binary. I think part of the reason why is because it's because this polarity doesn't serve most people. So then you have a lot of people who are assigned female at birth who are taught that you're supposed to want to look pretty and serve everyone all of the time. And that if you do this, if you look pretty and you serve everyone all of the time, all of your needs will be met. Doesn't work that way or they don't want to. So then you have women who are also full of shame and a whole lot of people who are angry. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? And who is the world telling you that you're supposed to be? There's this book uh, called Cured. Where did I put my notes? Cured by Jeffrey Rediger. And he studies spontaneous remission. And the idea of spontaneous remission is that people get healed from diseases and no one knows why permanent remission without treatment and, you know, all that kind of good stuff. And the thing I was most intrigued by from his work, from listening to him speak, is not the the stuff that you expect, right? You change your nutrition, you <clears throat> you take up uh, exercise and meditation and you eat more vegetables and you get toxic things out of your environment, right? Blah, blah, blah. We could all write that part of the book. Stop, stop consuming pesticides. <laughs> and, um, Meditate somewhere. Okay, good, right. Got it. The part I found most interesting is that people needed to change their identities. That part of being cured was getting into alignment with who you really are. That people who had been people pleasers their whole lives started setting boundaries, right? The diagnosis was there. Finally, their permission slip to say, you know what? I don't like sitting on the porch on Sundays, throwing rocks at passing children. (laughs) Oh 
oh my God, I'm a terrible person. No one does that. Do people do that? But really making a stand for, this doesn't work for me and this does. Making a stand for, you know what? When I'm being the most genuine version of myself, I actually prefer a more active life, a less active life. Um, no, your no, your mother can't come live with us. I'm happy to find a great home for her where she gets perfect care, but no, I don't want to be her caregiver. Yes, I actually do enjoy slapstick comedy, so I'm going to watch The Three Stooges. Whatever it was, that the people who were able to have this spontaneous remission to recover from diseases that supposedly weren't recoverable or to do so without the way that Western medicine recognized they could change the basics, environment, food, etc. But they also stopped being someone that they were not. Who do you think you are? There's another book called Don't Wait for Cancer. A lot of people who get the horrible big C diagnosis, they're like, oh, well, if I'm going to die, I'm going to do what I truly, I want to be who I truly am and do what I truly enjoy. Who do you think you are? And is that who you are? Like, first of all, who do you think you are? Is often used to try to cut someone down to size for daring to have a, an opinion, for daring to stand up for themselves, for daring to go against the domination and control that the person or people around them are trying to exert on them. And then who do you think you are? Oh, well, a lot of times when you ask people, they're going to give you a list of the roles that they fulfill for other people. Who do you think you are? Oh, I'm a, I'm a lawyer. I'm a mother. I'm a wife. I'm a daughter. I am a, I'm a Mason, a Freemason. I'm a cat owner. That's all well and good. But instead of asking, who do you think you are? Who are you really? Who are you really? If I could wave a magic wand and guarantee that everyone that you love and respect would appreciate whatever change you were about to make, what changes would you make? Like, who are you really? Who are you really? So when I was married, um, my ex-husband doesn't like cucumbers. I happen to love them. Uh, but while I was married, I stopped making cucumbers. Why? Because he didn't like them. Ugh, who am I really? I'm a person who loves cucumbers. <laughs> it's a ridiculous example. But it's a way in which um, I, I'm going to speak in the first person, was changing myself to accommodate someone else. Who do you think you are? right? When I stepped into the role of wife, all of the rules that I had about what wife means overrode who I am really. And a really super trite example. But being our most authentic selves is not neutral. There's a way in which suppressing who we truly are is making us sick. There's a way in which suppressing who we truly are is making us sick. So I've been seeing so much, the books that I happen to come across, the podcasts that I'm listening to, the snippets of conversation that I'm overhearing that are confirming that this work that I am being called to do, which is to beat the drum of genuosity, be the real you, 
is not neutral. It's actually deeply important. It's significant. It matters. Because we have a whole lot of people buying the lies that the culture is teaching us, operating at the lowest level of moral development, getting stuck there, and then getting caught up in blame and guilt and shame and hatred and rage and fury. And good, sweet Lord, I do not want any more of that. And those are people who are buying the answers to the question, who do you think you are? Well, tell me who I'm supposed to be and I'll do it because I want the goodies that come from it. In the Judeo-Christian tradition, don't get triggered, (laughs) it says, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be added unto you. So the secular interpretation of that would be the kingdom of heaven is within, right? So seek within for who you really truly are. Then you get the things, the goodies, the also reigns, the rewards. Be the true you. And you might just be saving your life. You might just be saving your life. And this is by no means in any way pointing a finger at people who get diseases. Everyone is going to die. We are all going to die and we are all going to die with or from something. So dying is not a failure. Getting sick is not a failure. Having diseases is not a failure. Let's not go there. But and also, what if one of the ways to keep yourself healthier, to lean in the direction of your own well-being, to vote in favor of you, is to actually be you. The stress of being someone you are not, it's just, it's just exhausting. Who do you think you are? Maybe stop answering that question and answer the question. Who are you really? Thank you for listening. (laughs) And can I be the one to remind you in this moment who you really are? is someone who is a survivor of so many things, someone who still has untapped potential, someone who is allowed to be happy, someone who is allowed to have feelings, someone who is whole, perfect, and complete just the way they are. And right here, Right now, and for all time, you are worthy and deserving of all good things. Until next time, my beautiful human. I am so honored that you share time with me. If you've listened this far, then something here was of value to you. Would you please be a friend of the podcast and share it with at least one other person? The podcast is available on most platforms, including YouTube, and I need your help to get the word out. So please like, subscribe, and share, and a five-star review on iTunes would be chef's kiss. Thank you so much. See you next time.